G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day, everyone. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast. Oh, it's been, uh, I mean, it's been a shocking few days. I think uh, on, what day was it? Tuesday, uh, we had 191 new cases recorded. Um, it was down to 120 yesterday. I haven't seen the overnight figures, but... Uh, it's some second wave and uh, a lot of finger pointing going on too, which doesn't really do anyone any good. Um, so it might be time to really embrace that. We're all in this together line that was going around however many months ago. Um, I'll tell you one thing which keeps going around, but is good finding. We love them. We love their support and we love their produce. What am I talking about, do you think? Andrew's hamburgers. I, there, it's... I'm going to compare it to actually something that I think every kid loves is opening a present, birthday present, Christmas present, that sense of wonder, expectation, joy. Because you know what? The kids know what's inside the present nowadays, but they still love unwrapping it. That's how I feel. Isn't that how you feel when you get an Andrew's hamburger? The old style in the paper bag, but with that, it's got that um, sort of uh, light paper wrapped around it to the old style just... You take that out, you've got your burger in there. And I love that just minute or so holding the burger and the cold soft drink. It's, for me, Christmas all over. And that from somebody, well, you wouldn't, you and that's from wanna, somebody who's Jewish. You wouldn't want to be uh, too like a little kid and play with the paper instead of the actual present inside. Yeah, that's, but, a, that's um, a baby. They, 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 uh, the box is they better. Are a beaut- a beautiful burger, the buns, the tender meat patties, the uh, lettuce tomato with the beads of fresh moisture on them, uh, a mouth-watering concoction indeed. Andrew's Hamburgers, 144, Bridport Street, Albert Park. And, and, and just on uh, that, just I, on that, Rowan, people need to realise, unfortunately for so many restaurants and eateries in Melbourne, uh, this is a, in Victoria, this is a cruel blow as they go back to not taking any customers. But, of course, Andrews is a takeaway establishment that right through lockdown and various stages of redress have maintained their their traditional service of takeaway. You can't sit now in front on the uh, park benching, but that's okay. Grab your burger, get in the car, don't eat it while you drive. That's dangerous and messy and also... It shows that you don't have any patience. Get home and love that burger. You can go out to get food. Get that Andrews hamburger, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. And uh, thank our other sponsor too, please, Fine. Imagine if you were driving in your car with your Andrews hamburger, that bun filled with expectation and joy, to a Nick's Bartels West Point property built domicile. All the mod cons to the... This morning, cold doesn't describe how I felt when I got up around 6 o'clock. Cold? The floors were 
freezing. You know, in Ixbartel's West Point property build, many of them have these the inbuilt heating rods, the hydraulic heating in the floor. It doesn't roast your feet, but they're tootsie warm. That's how you want your houses built, from floor to ceiling, with all the latest, not gadgetry, but brilliance, West Point Properties. West Point Properties for tootsie warm feet, renovated houses. Uh, All right, we've got a lot to get through. Let's not waste any time. On Footyology, Newsfeed. All right, heaps of footy news around, uh, heaps of dramatic ramifications for the AFL competition in the coronavirus spike in Victoria. Um, Probably should start with uh, the acknowledgement of the Victorian clubs all being in the hub. Uh, Major logistical operation, that one finding, but it all seems to have gone relatively smoothly so far. I would suggest that, uh, and it's so easy, as you said, we need to, we're all in this together, of course. Let's not take that too literally, as the guards at that hotel took it a bit too literally and got in bed with them together. But generally, we're in this together, but the people charged with the responsibility of making decisions for country, state, or in our case, what we focus on, beloved sporting competition, tend to be on a hiding to nothing. And I think Gil McLaughlin and his team should be given the absolute highest of high praise for, as you say, not only the logistics, but also meeting, I think, the needs of all the footballers with the best possible uh, accommodation that also allowed for some training, you know, more more uh, like at clubs, camps, um, resorts, etc., I think brilliantly done. Remember, there were other comps, you know, A-League couldn't get it done. So, well done to the AFL. Three times the job of the A-League, and they got it done brilliantly. Well, it's uh, produced, it's certainly a history-making round, this one, given that uh, not a single team will be playing at its genuine home venue. Only um, the second time that's ever happened, there was a, uh, what they called a propaganda round of the VFL back in 1952, where they had uh, all the sides playing in uh, regional centres. But, uh, yeah, just a, a bizarre setup. Um, but we are in bizarre times. Just uh, as an extension of the Victorian clubs moving out, however, um, some really significant news last night with um, the VFL calling off any competition for 2020. They were initially going to have a seven round season um that with this second spike has now been called off and the under 18 the nab under 18 competition also now in grave doubt so um that's a real shame obviously for those interested in the participants but i guess you know in terms of impact on afl finding this has suddenly left the victorian teams uh without decent uh, match practice facilities for their listed players in contention for senior teams, as opposed to the non-Victorian side. So uh, it's another sort of disadvantage, uh, and not complaining about that, but uh, it's another thing sort of stacked against the Victorian sides now, isn't it? I think this is the story less told, but we, with the ability to analyse and uh, filter news into the big story, Rowan. The big story this week has been the seven days from hell for Victorian-based AFL clubs. And, yeah, there are a few things in a normal season that do, if not tip 
the advantage slightly the way of the Victorian clubs, then certainly I would say make, say, September more comfortable. Now, in the last week, the Victorian clubs have seen, obviously, all their home ground advantage taken away, the big one. They've been moved out of the state for really an indefinite period because they originally thought it would be a four-week lockdown. Uh, Dan Andrews, I think, surprised most with six, but he says that's a minimum. So that lack of certainty must play on their psyche. Further to that, we are now almost to the point where there cannot be a final series in Victoria. Throw in no secondary competition to gauge players' form or to get players into form or to give injured players the opportunity to play some football. And finally, just the fact that the two highly touted Victorian teams, Richmond and Collingwood's hopes, have nosedived in the last seven days. Richmond through injury and unavailability at the hub and Collingwood through um, personal bad choices made now and some years previous. So, gee, if there was such a thing as a market on a Victorian team winning a premiership, which I think there is at times, it would have drifted, or as they say in horse racing parlours, it would have blown like the north wind. It's an amazing turnaround. I actually remember writing a column when we resumed the season, talking about how the dice were, or the cards were stacked against the non-Victorian sides, um, uh, you know, particularly West Coast Frio and, and Adelaide and Port Adelaide, uh, just a, a dramatic turnaround. And look, we've, we've said um, we don't know how this thing's going to turn and uh, don't assume anything. And, you know, as, as soon as you, it just seems with this pandemic, as soon as you uh, have a degree of complacency about anything, yeah. that... Um, Sorry, you're so. No, no, no. Yes, no. No complacency. But I just wanted to add something very important, and that was the late sort of late later breaking development that there is now jockeying for where the grand final and finals are going to be. And have you heard of? I don't know if this has been well broadcast, but the sort of letter that was written by the Premier of Queensland and the Premier of Queensland is that Palaszczuk. Yep. To Gillan McLaughlin. And I'll tell you what, she's got what the uh, New Yorkers would call is a fair bit of chutzpah. So she has said, because Brisbane has been the most accommodating in terms of organising the hubs and really made it possible, she claims, without Brisbane's and her own personal intervention, there'd be no AFL season, that it behooves the AFL to play the entire final series in Queensland with a sort of veiled threat that what can be, what was, what was put in place by um, sort of um, you know, uh, General Palaszczuk can also be disassembled by General Palaszczuk. So it's got an interesting de- decision to make, Gil. Yeah, well, that's, that's not going to happen. I don't think they're going to be blackmailed by anyone. Uh, I mean, there's they been could, a, hey, a they could, a... Mate, they could be. If, if those hubs, if, if she is the person in position to um, close a hub, if we lost our Queensland hubs, the season's over, mate. Yeah, well, she's not going to do that. Okay. I'll tell you right now. It's right. not going to happen. Okay. What I, was trying, what I was trying to say is there is a debate going on about where the grand final might be and various thoughts about that. 
I would have thought that it's an absolute no-brainer that you play a grand final where you can get the largest crowd in a traditional football state. So I would have thought if the MCG is out, and it appears pretty certain, it has to be at uh, Optus Stadium in Perth, which can accommodate 60,000 people. I can't see a, 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 an argument against that that stacks up. I, I disagree. I don't think it would be in Perth if Brisbane make the grand final. Why would you play it in a state? If, if a WA team makes it, no problem. It goes to the state that can host the most people. But what's the capacity of the Gabba? 40? Uh, 40. Yep. Why would you... I think um, sort of the uh, right thing to do, the, the just the correct thing to do is if, if an interstate team makes the grand final, then it should be in that team state. Uh, Brisbane, Port Adelaide, GWS and West Coast Eagles, you would say, are all, and maybe even Gold Coast, are all still in the jockeying place for, for doing that, which means I would make the announcement now, if it can't be in Victoria that that would be the preferential system. If no team from a home state makes it, then it goes to WA. Now, that would rely on waiting very late in the season to announce where it is. Do you think that would be fair? Because it would create great interest in those four states. Um, yeah, I guess. I mean, given that everything's being done on the fly. But, I, I mean, I, I just think you go where you can accommodate the largest crowd. This has been a season where crowds haven't been able to go. Uh, now that there is one state returning to stage five restrictions and has the chance to have footy as per normal and it can accommodate 20,000 more than the next largest venue, um, you go there. Uh, and also, it's a traditional football state, uh, which I think is important. But, um, and uh, also, I mean, it doesn't need to be a Perth team in the grand final for... Perth people to sell out a grand final. They're not that parochial. No, they will sell it out. They'll definitely sell it out. You see, you and I, I reckon semantics here mean everything. You say it should go where most people can see the game, correct? Yep. I say it's where most fans can see the game, and a fan is only a supporter of one of the two teams. Yeah. All right, well, you know, it's a debate we're going to keep hearing about, no doubt, as uh, arrangements continue to change. Uh, just another, I don't know if it's been a debate. Actually, it's sort of pleasing that it hasn't really been a debate, and that was the unavailability for Richmond of uh, Shane Edwards and Bashar Hooley due to their, um, well, one being an expectant father and the other being a recent father. So they have not gone into the hub. Uh, Jack Rewalt talked about the other day about having some misgivings himself with a young family. Uh, I think the blowback on that's been fairly minor, which I think is pleasing. Most people seem to have a better sense of priorities these days. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, there, I, I believe that there has not been a sense of public debate because uh, most media figures now are very careful at the blowback against them if they tread on any PC toes. But I can tell you... Well, it's not, it's not PC, though, is it, really? It's just like, it's the, just being a decent It is parent, absolutely, it? absolutely PC to, have the, to not have the discussion. Absolutely. Because there are fans out there that would expect their team's players to do it. Now, that would open the discussion and give people holding that discussion, maybe via Talkback or wherever, the opportunity to point out that in 2020, uh, there are things that are more important, not more important, but 
players have the right to choose that. But the fact there's been no debate to me is very PC of the world we live in that uh, people with the opportunity to open that to public discussion don't want to for fear of being uh, labelled as, um, you know, uh, anti-family, et cetera, et cetera. Are you surprised there hasn't been any debate? Because there really hasn't been. No, that's exactly what I just said, that I think it's there hasn't been a debate, and I think that's a reflection of shifting values in society. Oh, so you think in society that... You, do you think that people aren't questioning, Richmond fans and football fans don't think it's a discussion worth having? Or it's just a fate think... accompli now? It's a, I, we've gone from um, being sort of cave knuckle-dragging cavemen to... Uh, far more holistic people and men without even having the discussion. I'm just surprised. I'm surprised we've come there that quickly, Rowan. Well, I think that's a good thing, personally. I think it's terrible. Okay. Um, Let's move on. And uh, some sad news this week, too. Uh, The passing of former Carlton Premiership player, Mark Naley, who um, sadly passed away at the age of 59, couple of days ago, he played uh, only four seasons for Carlton, 65 games, the 1987 Premiership win part of that. But he was a, a top-notch South Australian player before he uh, came over to Victoria. And um, we saw enough of his uh, good uh, or his best to realise what a, a star he was. Took him a little while to get settled in, but he ended up by the end of that first season being a pivotal part of that side. He's been battling a, a brain tumour for uh, a long time and uh, was in palliative care and uh, sa- sadly lost his fight the other day. But some really nice tributes paid to him. A, a bit of a, a short-lived star for the Blues, but one they remember very fondly. He was... Carlton had that brilliant team through the 70s and 80s, different sides, but they kept it going with a lot of premierships. And they did it really without a, a big name fall forward. I think, don't you reckon these sort of their their trademark brilliance stemmed from that powerful midfield and on ballers and especially smaller players? So to get asked to be... Well, it, it, yeah. it, it did in 79 to 82. 87, that version, I think it's fondly remembered that version because, you know, with all due respect, it sort of paled against the star quality of those earlier incarnations you know you had the likes of uh you know mick kennedy and Bortolotto. richard dennis uh who was a no no i'm talking about the 87 oh, the 87 team, mick, yeah. mick mick kennedy and um you know richard dennis who had a sort of brief little period in the spotlight there and uh who else john dorotich shane robertson yep they didn't have the star quality of those earlier versions, but it was a very hard-working side, and and Naley was certainly one of the uh, the silkier components of that. Yeah, I, I just think any player. I always felt that any player invited by Carlton, uh, or not invited by, sort of handpicked by Carlton from WA or South Australia, must have been a star. They just missed out on platinum, but they pretty much got all the rest, and I think we got confirmation of it in a lot of state games where he was a very good player. Uh, I, I sort of, if you t- talk to me about South Australian, um, uh, not dominance over Victoria, but c- certainly uh, the equal of Victoria, I immediately think of Kernahan and then I think of Naley. Yeah, yeah, no, he, absolutely. One of their very best in those uh, 
mid to late 80s state of origin stouches against Victoria, which briefly the South Australians dominated. Uh, all right, well, there's enough news for now. We have nine games to preview. Let's do that. On Footyology, previews with Punch. Round six kicks off Thursday evening, 7.40 at the unlikely venue. Well, they're all unlikely. Uh, the SCG hosting Geelong, playing a home game against Brisbane. Uh, now, you've got to say, this is probably one of the best examples of how dramatically the venue uh, changes the landscape of the game, doesn't it? Because were this at its um, intended home, uh, the odds would be dramatically different. Of course, uh, I had a look last night. Brisbane haven't won down at Geelong since 2004. Um, so it's a fair, uh, fair um, stint between victories there. But at the SCG... Actually, the Cats, I was under the impression the Cats didn't have that great a record at the SCG, but in recent times, they have had a couple of wins there. However, uh, there's no doubt which side is playing the better footy, and that is Brisbane, having won four in a row, all those games at the Gabba. Um, but, uh, gee, they're in a roll. They are playing some fantastic footy, Finey. The thing, uh, wrote a column about this the other day, they are the quickest um, ball-moving side in the competition by some margin, and uh, that's measured by disposals per score in the defensive and midfield 50s. And theirs is significantly lower than even the next lower side. So they move it quickly. They get a heap of possession through that midfield with, you know, Lockie Neal. They get Dane Zorko uh, back this week, I think. So Brisbane really in a good place at the moment. The only thing, the only little chink in their armour actually uh, is their accuracy. Um, they're the least accurate side in the competition, uh, obviously impacted by that uh, game against Adelaide a couple of weeks ago when they kicked 10-23 or whatever it was. Uh, conversion has been an issue for them, but if they just straighten up a bit, make a bit more of those chances, plenty of uh, potential goal kickers up there, of course. Charlie Cameron, Eric Hipwood, Daniel McStay, Lincoln McCarthy. Uh, iron that out and uh, they would be, I think they're second premiership favourites at the moment behind GWS. But um, uh, as I wrote, they're, they're never going to get a better chance to win a flag. You know, they're, they're the only team basically that's going to be playing a lot of games at home uh, on a venue only they play at. Uh, they're in good form. Uh, it's all set up for them. And uh, Geelong, well, they're just going really. They had that impressive win over Hawthorne few weeks back but uh yeah just scratching around since then it got better the longer the game went against Gold Coast but Gold Coast were leading them early in that third quarter so fair bit of work for the Cats still to get back to their best I can't see it happening against the side as in form as Brisbane and particularly not at the SCG what do you reckon really interesting that it's at the SCG you're right the armor chinking of being inaccurate has cost them percentage but it's probably the best place to have room for improvement because is there really rhyme or reason to goal kicking you name their forward line there's nobody there that is a notoriously wayward kick so that could be righted on any afternoon or evening I wouldn't want I'd, I'd work on it but I wouldn't worry about it I think it's an opportunity for them to improve and an easy opportunity to do so Geelong are interesting. There was a strong suggestion that Gary Ablett would be managed uh, immediately after his 350th. I think it shows 
the importance of this game for the Cats, that he will be lining up. That is not what the plan was going to be. But with this, with Jack Stephen being managed and this brilliant foe, they've gone with Gary Ablett one more time to the well before he has a bit of a break. SCG may suit Geelong a little bit. I feel that Geelong is not the strong, uh, quickest team, but they are strong. And instinctively, one does sense that a very fast team like Brisbane Bears might not like the smaller dimensions of the SCG. That sometimes plays out, sometimes doesn't. So I'll be tipping Brisbane, but we might be describing the very unusual home ground or the ground of the SCG as how Geelong circumvented and, you know, short-circuited, I should say, uh, one of the better teams in the comp. It'll be an interesting look after the game. It will be a good game. We're both going for Brisbane. All right, uh, let's go to Friday evening, 7.50. This one is at Giants Stadium, and it is Collingwood hosting, in inverted commas, Hawthorne. A uh, bit of a toss of the coin, this one, Finey. What do you reckon? <laughs> Isn't it funny? They've both... They both stumbled at that ground. And then they've got to go back and play there. What a funny fixture we've got. GWS resurrecting their seasons against those very two teams. Hawthorne looked second rate against GWS. I don't know how you read that game, but I, I mean everywhere. I mean even where they're supposed to be strong in that midfield with Mitchell and Jay Gramira, or at least highly competitive. I just thought they looked... As I said, second race, they lose Luke Bruce. Now, this is a big loss for Hawthorne because their forward line is, it hasn't fired, has it? Uh, Patton didn't work. He might be back in the team, by the way. I, I think um, his replacement, Lewis Mitchell, might have got injured. So that's there's a doubt there, but he only had Mitchell, five. Mitch, Mitchell Lewis, sorry. Yeah. You did say Lewis Mitchell. Yeah, that was for you. Oh, okay. Sorry. I, <laughs> Go on. Uh, my plan was for you to correct it and for me to say, oh, okay. for me to say, I do the, I do it that way around. So you, we end up with the right result. Well, we got there in the end. Anyhow, they'd probably prefer, they'd probably prefer, pardon me, prefer Mitchell Lewis was actually Sam Mitchell and Jordan Lewis because their midfield needs more meat. And against GWS... Uh, that was plainly obvious. And I think Collingwood have enough meat in the midfield, even with the miscreants not playing and uh, certain, uh, you know, certain, a shroud, not a shroud hanging over the team, but certain question marks that need to be answered and can only be answered by hunkering down and having a win. Hasn't Collingwood been able to do that in recent years? Now, I know every team's travelled, but Collingwood in trouble always loved getting on a plane. It was a plane that was coming back. It was a plane coming back after the game. Maybe they can take advantage of an extended hunkering down period. I'm going to tip them to beat the Hawks. Yeah, I, I am too, but only just. I mean, you just you don't know what you're going to get with Hawthorne. The Pies, obviously, have had the couple of weeks from hell. No Dugowie, no Sidebottom, no Jeremy House. So the absentees really stack up. And there was a real flatness about them last week against Essendon after that opening 12 minutes and a little burst at the end of the game. So... Uh, actually, I wrote on them this week too. I mean, their ball movement's their real issue. Any side that can slow down to any considerable degree their ball movement, uh, they haven't got the forward line at the moment that can uh, take a grab. So unless they get that quick, clean delivery inside 50 to the likes of Stevenson, 
they're in awful trouble. Having said that, yeah, I thought the Hawks were very unimpressive against the Giants. Um, I'll tell you, here's another one just to throw in for consideration. Hawthorne have won 12 of their last 13 games against Collingwood. So it's a pretty amazing record, that. And uh, I don't know what you know what relevance it has now. You'd think not a lot, but then that record really stands up. So there's something else to consider. Players, players draw on that stuff, don't they? Uh, well, yeah, maybe. They probably wouldn't be admitting it. Uh, I am going for the pies, but only just. So Collingwood for both of us. Rowan. All right. Rowan. Yeah. I I think I think that sort of footy, we're footy anoraks. Let's, let's face it. We like collecting. I certainly like collecting unusual reasons why players are out. You know, one week and then what follows is always, if there's a new one, it's always great to add to the collection. Did you see what, why to go is out for a week? Uh, well, I thought it was because of the, um, I, no, I didn't. He's out for one week, COVID policy. The, oh yeah. Okay. Oh, what's the new one? Yeah. But it's, it's, um, it's also, I don't, we know it's code for something. We're just not sure what that something is. Yes. Well, uh, there's some off field matters, uh, has to be attended to there as well. All right. Uh, Saturday. 12.35, that'll be one of the earliest starting games we've seen. I remember there was one in Canberra about 20 years ago that started before midday, but this uh, isn't a lot after midday. 12.35 at Metricon Stadium, Fremantle taking on St Kilda. The Dockers, of course, having broken through for that first win of the season against Adelaide, uh, did it reasonably well. Look, they've, they've toiled relatively honestly, I reckon, the Dockers, but... Um, St Kilda in a much better place at the moment. They're a, a good side to watch when they get that outside run happening. Uh, Zach Jones probably returning this week. That should help offset the loss of Dan Hanabry with a hamstring injury, which is a considerable one. Uh, but the Saints were pretty impressive against Carlton, I, I thought, last week. Didn't really finish it off, but um, they've got their game you know, ticking over pretty nicely. Uh, they're pretty potent up forward. Lots of run on the outside. And uh, the Dockers, well, they have some major injury issues going on. Uh, we don't know if Fife's status at the moment, but obviously that would make a huge difference. Uh, Jesse Hogan will miss with a calf injury. Griffin Lowe, who I thought was really impressive last week, he's going to miss out as well. So that destabilises their defence and they really need him up against St Kilda at the moment. So pretty hard to argue a case for a Fremantle win, I would have thought. I'm going for the Saints to win that one. What say you? Before I give my tip, a very interesting segue to your uh, question posed as this is one of the earliest starting games that you can remember. The earliest start for any league game happened... During the reign, I believe, of King George VI, the stuttering king, uh, he visited Australia, and to accommodate his timetable, they started a game at Punt Road, I believe, between Richmond and St Kilda, and maybe other games to coincide with it, but there were certainly games that started before 11am, and that was to accommodate the king's itinerary. Not his speech, his itinerary. And the segue, of course, was that Logue is out, and Logue was the Australian doctor, who I believe was from Perth, so I can only assume there is some, or there may be some connection between Griffin and Lionel, that is the footballer and the uh, former 
uh, speech coach of the King. So there is a little connection there. I'm tipping St Kilda because I wasted my time on the other stuff. Actually, I got an um, interesting email or comment about that during the week. I'm just trying to remember what it was. They were they were pretty certain there wasn't a, uh, no a family connection, okay. but there was some reference to Logue, which if I have time, I'll look up. So apologies, whoever sent me that, that I, I didn't remember. My head is like a sieve at the moment, admittedly. All right, we're did, both did Madonna going, write a song about Logue? Uh, get up and... Vogue. You know, Logue. Uh, Come on. (laughs) I I try not to remember Madonna if I can. Uh, All right. uh, Next game on the menu, 3.05. This one is at the Gabba and he's West Coast playing Adelaide. What? Well, this this one looks like the certainty of the round, I would have thought. I watched that West Coast Sydney game last week pretty closely and Thought the Eagles were uh, absolutely turning a corner the longer that game went. They really oh. they looked uh, pretty dangerous up forward as well. Thought a couple of inclusions really gave them a bit of extra impetus, and that was Oscar Allen and Jake Waterman. They were um, really good for the Eagles. So, you know, you throw those two alongside Kennedy and Tarling, there's a fair bit of tall timber up there to counter. Adelaide, uh, well, you know, it's just... It's that they are at the bottom of the well, really, in terms of the history of that club. Um, you know, look, they they battled against Frio. They they had their moments, but in the end, outclassed, and they're just on a rebuilding mission. And uh, it's going to be a long, long season for Matthew Nix's side. You would have thought. So I'm going. I, I do think West Coast has turned the corner. I think uh, they're about to become a very large player in this season. Of course, when they return home and get to spend uh, seven or eight weeks at home. Um, things have turned around pretty quickly for them. I think they're going to have a pretty comfortable win here. What do you reckon? The one thing I'd say, Rowan, is just watching that game between Fremantle and Adelaide last week, I would say that just player to player, Adelaide still have a lot of footballers that we certainly have been familiar with as much better players in a much better team. It's not like they've lost, they've had the heart of the side ripped out of them. They've had the heart to play football sort of ripped out of them. Now, I feel for Matthew Nix, but it is his responsibility to steer them through these choppy times and hard for a new coach uh, to be thrown into the hub situation. Experience would have helped there, at least in motivating the playing group. I feel that when they get back to Adelaide, and play in front of a home crowd, we will see a much better Adelaide. They do that next week against, of course, the Saints, but that doesn't matter. Uh, This week, though, one last week at the hub that has delivered them their worst football in the club history. No, they will not be changing it around. And as we know, they don't like going together on camp-type situations. So maybe even that, and I'm not being facetious here, maybe even that has been a um, painful memory to some of the players. Let them get back home. Then we'll reassess, but this week, West Coast by the length of the straight. We agree on that one. <clears throat> All right, two Saturday evening games, uh, both at different times. Uh, wow, this menu really is all over the shop. 6.05 Saturday evening at Giant Stadium. It is Melbourne playing Gold Coast. Uh, now, this is a really interesting game. The Suns... Last week had to go down to Geelong, really tough assignment, but uh, absolutely emerged from that losing no credits, I thought, particularly given they lost 
their star, Matt Rowell, so early in the piece. And unfortunately, he's going to be missing for a fair chunk. Uh, hope that really doesn't see them lose impetus in the in the same way they did uh, when was it back in 2014 when Gary Ablett did his shoulder just when it looked like they're actually a finals contender uh but they bet they fought it out really well so uh, there's a newfound resilience in that side no doubt about that Melbourne well geez they're disappointing uh, I really thought they would bounce back this year but I don't know what sort of game they're trying to play, but it's all over the place. You know, they still win plenty of the ball on the inside, still can't use it on the outside. Their forward line is a, a dog's breakfast. They can't generate enough scores. Uh, they've got Max Gorn in the ruck, but, you know, it's sort of it's hard to find too many consistent performers for them at the moment. So um, hard to argue a case for them which is why I'm going to look uh, pretty silly here when I announce that I'm tipping them. I just have a, um, a hunch that Gold Coast might actually be set back on their heels a bit, losing Rao. Uh, you know, they've, they've had a fair head of steam up. Young side, will they have a bit of a letdown? And I think Melbourne simply has to show something this week if they're to make anything of 2020 at all. So uh, just a kick but I'm going for the Demons to cause an upset there. What do you reckon? Blasphemer, heretic, spreader of lies. I'm, going to, I'm doing this whole review biblical because I believe reap as ye sow. They get everything they deserve, Melbourne, in terms of imbalance. Now, they don't get what they deserve in terms of result if they put effort in, and they put a much better shift in against Geelong. But they, uh, somebody has to be held culpable for uh, going out two years ago, and despite the fact that they had Jake Lever in the wings and ready to start his career at Melbourne, a, a, stro- a, you know, a recruited as the best centre back in the comp because he's on about 800,000. The fact that they had Oscar McDonald, at that stage Sam Frost, and also Tom McDonald, who had moved to the forward line, but surely people knew, and they still don't know at Melbourne, but everybody else does. He's a backman first and foremost. Why would they invest time, money, and also the valuable trade period resources and opportunities to go after Stephen May? Their forward line is crumbling before them with the loss of Hogan and this year they go out and get Langdon and Tomlinson and whilst Langdon is a genuine winger gets a lot of the ball he only adds to the woes of Melbourne's disposal inefficiency and Tomlinson is not a wingman he's not a player that any team with a an identifiable shortfall in midfield class by foot and tall forwards of any description why you would go after Tomlinson is bewildering so what have they got a team that is totally imbalanced and no way of addressing that. Wiedemann, if he's a pro, if he's a long-term project, uh, he won't be take he won't be taking off until we put men on Mars. A fair income that, that that's just not working. So for me, Melbourne has you you can't pick them because actually their effort against Geelong was good and they still fell well short. No, Gold Coast clearly for mine. All right, well, we differ on that one. Uh, Saturday evening at 7.40 at Metricon Stadium sees Essendon playing North Melbourne. And uh, two pretty contrasting form lines here. Uh, The Roos now have lost their last three. And 
Uh, yeah, pretty unfortunate way they've just fallen away. Injuries obviously haven't helped, uh, and they're still a factor in this game. I doubt we'll see Ben Cunnington, that troublesome back injury for him. I think Sean Higgins, pretty doubtful with a knee. Taron Thomas, concussion. Jack Zebel, a hamstring. Well, none of those four come up. You can absolutely kiss their chances goodbye. Essendon have injury concerns as well. Um, really unfortunate loss of Jake Stringer now for, uh, well, we're tipping up to three months with an ankle injury. He was a really uh, key cog of that great win over Collingwood last week. One of the Bombers' best wins for a, a few years. Dyson Heppel, of course, out long-term. Patrick Ambrose still out. They should, they will, however, get Zach Merritt back from suspension. Uh, Connor McKenna, you'd think, surely comes in this week. Aaron Francis, too, who was pretty handy last start in defence. He might be coming back as well. Um, yeah, the Dons rebounded well after that uh, pretty insipid sort of defeat against Carlton with a, a great win against the Pies. Uh, I think they've got the ammunition and the machinery to do it over north. And, um, yeah, things will be looking dicey for the Roos if it becomes four defeats in a row. But uh, plenty to play for the Bombers. I think the Bombers win this one. Not necessarily by a heap. They're always pretty hard-fought contests. Essendon North, of course, the last one decided uh, by that Anthony McDonald tip and woody goal literally in the last couple of seconds late last year. But uh, this one might be slightly more comfortable. I'm going for Essendon to win that one, Finey. What are you going for? In- interesting you mentioned Anthony McDonald because he's had a really good season, hasn't he? And another player that has been not reinvigorated because it's it's hard to describe a, a run with a close tagger as somebody that's got a new lease on life because it's almost a... A job of um, denying life to his opponent. So it's not like he's becoming a, a driving force. But, gee, even in the loss to the Bulldogs, didn't he play well on Bond and Pelly? Oh. Uh, McDonald. I, I said Anthony. I didn't mean Anthony McDonald. Um, I, I, I meant um, Donald McDonald's boy. The the man Luke. That, Luke McDonald, the man that looks like... And I know everybody says he looks like uh, Tom Hanks from Castaway, but I, I found somebody actually I reckon he looks more like. He's looking disturbingly like Jethro Tull. And believe me, that, <laughs> that, that takes him to very weird places and probably with a flute. So North, North can't win till... Ben... Well, hey, hang on. Sorry, I've got to pull you up there. So when you say Jethro Tull, you mean Ian Anderson, correct, the lead correct. singer? Yes, yeah, right. Ian Anderson, okay. the lead singer of Jethro Tull or, or the, um, the band best known as um, Take More Drugs. So yeah, the... They can't win with without Ben Brown functioning, I don't think, let alone not having a midfield. So isn't Ben Brown... That's a, an interesting fail, failure on all fronts. It's funny. It's, it does happen to fall forwards. If the confidence is down on getting the ball, everything falls apart. Now, one of the great parts of his game is his long runway accurate kicking. That's gone. It, it maybe because there are so few opportunities, when he gets it, there's so much added pressure to kick the goal. But his accuracy's really fallen away. It doesn't leave them much up forward without Larky, does it? I don't think Zeri has been the answer. You, th- you know what? They might play Magic Door this week. They might be forced to. He played in the curtain, you know, that sort of scratch match they have between teams instead of the VFL. He did play in that last week. He could play. It won't win them the game, though. Stringer's a big loss. 
certainly not every week, but this is a week you'd expect or you'd hope McKernan to step up. I think he may, he can. He's He doesn't need a lot of kicks at goal. But the great news is McDonald, Tip and Woody hit some form. That's I think that's really important for the Essendon forward line. And Snelling and Hams must... There are only six more good games in this season away from feeling like they belong in an AFL team and having a long career. Not bad in the case of Snelling Snelling for a bloke who was picked up in the mid-season draft. Yeah, they were very important last week, both of them. So you are going for the Bombers, I take. Oh, yeah. I I think North would be struggling to kick six goals a week now without, without Brown's input and no larky. All right, uh, let's move to Sunday, 105 uh, at Metricon Stadium. Boy, they're getting some games, Metricon. Port Adelaide taking on GWS. You can open the batting on this one, Fine. This is almost as good a game as in prospect as we had last week with Port Brisbane. Didn't quite live up to it, but these are two heavyweights and what I like about it is it's a pre-season predicted heavyweight starting to flex its muscle versus a very impressive starter in Port Adelaide who are going back home next week and would love to just tick one more box with a win away from home. Wouldn't this be a great result for them? Because if they can get this win, they will leave the hub and go back to South Australia on top of the ladder. Oh, this would mean everything to them. If not, they sort of fall back amongst the leading group of which you'd have to say they would not be the most favoured. Uh, can they win the game? I don't think so, because Port Adelaide seem to have critical players, and when they play, they win. Toby Green's one of them, obviously. Uh, so is Josh Kelly and Lockie Whitfield, and they're all going to line up. So uh, they've got Harry Perryman, the, what do they call him, the Swiss Army Knife? Play anywhere, make a great contribution. Finlayson is the quiet Coleman man. He could win the Coleman medal, by the way. And I think Mumford's... I don't know if he's improved their output, but he certainly improves the um, the attitude and the uh, sort of uh, optimistic nature of their midfield because he's he's the, you know, he's the Mac Daddy. He's their, they're his boys, and they work better with him than with... Sam Jacobs. So I'm going for them, respectful of what Port's done, respectful of Charlie Dixon's ability to win a game off his own boot, but not respectful enough to think that 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 can happen and everything else go right and they win. No, I have to tip the GWS Giants. Uh, Yes, same here. I thought they they looked uh, pretty ominous, actually, against Hawthorne at times. They had their um, forward efficiency ticking over pretty handy. What, 20... Is it 27 or 29 inside 50s for a win? It was remarkable conversion. Um, as you said, Finlayson going really well up, up forward, but he, Cameron Himmelberg, and obviously Toby Green. It's a bloody handy combination. Um, I think they've just got a bit of an, an edge in class over Port. The other thing worth mentioning too, uh, chance of a surprisingly quick return from Tim Taranto. Um uh, best and yes. fairest winner who uh, was out uh, pre-season with a, a serious shoulder injury. So they get you throw him back into that mix. You got uh, Kelly, Whitfield, Cornelio. Uh, it's all starting to return to that sort of power and uh, dynamic output that they offered during the finals last year. So 
look, Port, um, yeah, I think their their limitations were probably shown up a bit against Brisbane. I, I still think they've been pretty impressive, but ultimately they don't have the level of firepower GWS have either midfield or up forward. Uh, I think GWS will get their hands on the footy a fair bit more and uh, make more of their opportunities. So I'm going for them to win that one also. All right, uh, the second game on Sunday is Richmond playing Sydney, which is at the Gabba at 3.35. Of course um, it is. All right, well, you lead the batting on this one because, uh, gee, it's a, a... tough assignment for the Tigers when you think about who's going to be missing. What a game. But the one team at the moment that could not capitalise, could not be guaranteed on capitalising on that lack of star power at Richmond uh, would have to be picked from Sydney or Adelaide. I mean, even Frio, you'd say. In fact, I'd be confident that Frio would be able to um, take advantage of what will be possibly the most devastating list of outs. I'd like to see a better group of players than Prestia, Lynch, Coxon, and there was one more in that group from injuries. Who have I... Oh, Nan Curvis. Nan Curvis. Asbury. He's already out. I'm saying from last week. Just the outs from last week. Oh, okay. So out. Nan Curvis, Lynch, Prestia, Coxon, Hawley and Edwards. I mean, that is just, that is, that is absolutely plucking out the quality bar Martin. There's no rants there anymore. Look, Rewalt's struggling a bit. Maybe this will help him uh, to have a bit of freedom on the forward line to not worry about getting in the way of the uh, other key forward. When this happened last year on a similar but not as devastating scale, Richmond had what Damien Hardwick rightly describes as, as in the top three wins of his time at the club. Well, they won two flags. Against uh, Port Adelaide? Yeah. Well, they won a flag, two flags. So you'd have to assume that maybe it's the greatest win outside of premiership. I don't know. So can they do it again? Maybe against Sydney they can. Sydney has no Ruckman left, Naismith and Sinclair. Apparently they had a, a, a reserves Ruckman. He's done a long-term injury as well. So they'll go with um, uh, the kid up forward that they used last week in a Lear, a Lear. McLean. 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 He didn't, they didn't compete in every rock contest, of course, last week. At some points, at one point, the umpire, so McLean and a Lear, a Lear weren't there, and they nominated players, and Nat Nui, so he said Nat Nui, and then he went to Sydney. Now, normally if no one nominates, they throw it up, but he offered it to two of the players. He sort of pointed to them and they said, no, no, we'd rather not. Just give it to Nick. So they've got troubles in the ruck, which means that, I don't know, do they play Soldo or do they say, you know what, the opposition doesn't have much ruck work. We might go with Mubla Chol and Noah Bolter and see what happens. Richmond bring back a few players. Does Sydney have enough to beat them? They don't have a forward line, really, Sydney. Um, I'm going to go for Richmond. This is... I'm very interested to hear your tip, Rowan. I I go to Richmond almost as a a, a disconnected voice saying, telling me to say that. I've got no reason why. Have you got some reasons for a solid tip here? Uh, Not really. I never do. Um... But I, I like the idea of uh, the fact that they dug in so well last year when they had that shocking run of injuries. And I think that 
provides a really handy template for them now. Um, they have got good depth. I mean, you know, just having a look at Bolter last week, I mean, he's, boy, he's, he's got some talent, that guy. Um, so there's flexibility, there's depth, you know, there's guys who've been biding their time waiting for their chance. And uh, absolutely, Damien Hardwick will be channeling the memories of that win uh, over in Adelaide last year because um, this is a a loss of personnel, certainly on that, if not exceeding that score, to be honest. Um, look, having watched Sydney closely last week, I just, I can't, I really can't tip them. They just don't have a forward line. I think their midfield's pretty limited now too. It's basically Josh Kennedy and Luke Parker driving it. Uh, they're the only sort of, they're the most reliable members of it. Um, and I think you need more than that. And up forward, it was just desolate. I mean, Tom Papley was kept in check last week and there was just nothing else to go to. So it didn't really look like kicking goals after, well, they kicked three and then three for the rest of the game. So Richmond, a very good defensive side anyway. I just can't see Sydney kicking enough scores regardless of the uh, quality of star that the Tigers are missing. So I'm going for Richmond. Uh, not by a heap, but by enough, I think. So that, Tigers, that remind, we both... Yeah, yeah, Tigers. That reminds me of, of a, pardon me, review. Oh, trouble today getting the words out. A review many years ago. St Kilda's in the 80s were terrible. They had a forward line where the centre-half forward was Mark Buckley, the ex-Carlton player. And I think yep. the full forward was Glenn Brown or Peter Brown from Carlton. Maybe Glenn Brown. But it was... Um, Buckley and Brown were the key position players, and then it was in the Herald Sun or the Sun, and it said afterwards Buckley at centre forward, Brown at full forward. St Kilda will be hoping for any other avenues to goal, like saying, you know, they can't kick goals. That's almost the Sydney forward line. Whoever they pick at centre forward, full forward, no, they're two key forwards. Nobody believes they're going to kick a goal between them, do they? No. That's funny you mentioned Peter Brown. He actually had a reasonable year in 79 when he played in that premiership. Yeah, but, uh, there you go. Yeah, no, do you know um, Peter Brown is the only name of a player that there were four simultaneous Peter Browns playing? Is that right? Yeah. I, I know St Kilda had a second one, didn't they? Yeah, from Barodia. the others were, though. South Melbourne had one and uh, one bobbed up at Fitzroy. For oh, a Fitzroy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, he and, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, you're right. I do remember that. All right, uh, round six finishes off, uh, surprise, surprise, at Metricon Stadium. And Sunday, 6.45, so later start there, Carlton taking on the Western Bulldogs. Uh, this is an interesting one too. Carlton, they're probably slightly disappointing last week against St Kilda, given the victory over Essendon the week before. The Western Bulldogs, though, Finey, uh, you've got to think they're sort of back in town. Three wins in a row and um, the win over North Melbourne last week, the most impressive of the lot, really. Uh, they've got plenty of run. Um, they've got, uh, may unfortunately be still uh, or without East Melbourne's finest mullet, Bailey Smith, but Lockie Hunter, pretty handy uh, return um, after he's completed his four-week suspension. I just think they'll probably have too much on the outside for the Blues and uh, I'll be keeping a very close eye on Josh Bruce because six goals last week. Uh, is he back in form? And if he is back in a goal-kicking frame of mind, um, that just tops it off for the Bulldogs. So after a very poor start to the season, coming along nicely for them, 
the Blues, look, they've played overall, they've played decent footy this year, but uh, just got to sustain it for longer periods. And most importantly, get off to a decent start because that propensity to get jumped at the start is really setting them back and costing them games. But uh, can't see them getting the better of the Western Bulldogs here, Fanny. What do you reckon? Um, there's no way you could pay any respect to the form of last week or the week before, even though Carlton uh, had a meritorious victory over your boys the week before. Form says that's actually a bloody good win. But that would you can't see what the doggies have done of recent times and put together a cogent argument that says Carlton can beat them on the scoreboard in the middle of the ground but most importantly have a listen carefully to Luke Beveridge in his post-match presses this is now two weeks in a row where he has been delighted by the back line I think he knows that there is a back line there that can take them all the way and he's seeing it form before his very eyes. We know, He must be all Australian, crazier, surely. Gee, he's an effective defender. He knows when to go, he knows when to stay, never gets beaten and knows how to play. That sounds like a poem. But Easterwood, most mobile, most effective he's been since 2016. That's great for the team. Keith doing his now... Uh, recruited for a job, have a look, Melbourne, targeted the players and they're getting the result because they needed them. And now the complementary work of Caleb, Daniel and Joe Henderson, exactly what you want them to be. So brilliant back line. Now, Carlton can't score against a brilliant back line. They just can't. You know, how many chances do they get? Uh, even if Casbolt's got his kicking boots on, uh, without Charlie, uh, Charlie Kernow this season, they just can't do enough damage Eddie Betts, unfortunately, you know, he's, all his goals this year have been in the first quarter. Did you know that? It's hard for him to run out of game. No, they can't win this. And uh, the bubble, the Pitane bubble burst last week, and it'll go from burst to absolutely obliterated this week because English is ready to take him to the cleaners. Okay, so I gather that means you're tipping Western Bulldogs. <laughs> I'll do what you did in the Melbourne game. Which is why what What's I'm that? about to say is ridiculous and I'm tipping, but no, I'm not doing that because you, you didn't have much okay. praise for Melbourne, but you tipped them. I'm tipping the Bulldogs. Yeah. All right. No, fair enough too. All right. There are all nine games of round six uh, duly previewed. Uh, what do you say we step back in time, Finey? Vinyl and video. Pressing rewind on our favourite music, movies and TV. All right, well, it was my turn to pick a year this year, Finey, and uh, I uh, I had a major surprise for you. Uh, a, that I went outside the 1990s, and uh, B, I actually ventured into the 21st century, believe it or not, but... I still kept pretty close to the 90s. Uh, we are talking this week on Vinyl and Video about 2001. Good name for a film. Um, but some interesting stuff originating in the world of music and movies and TV. Let's kick it off with music. In the actual fact, having said that, I went through the albums. I couldn't find, there weren't many sort of humdinger, smash hit type albums. A couple caught my eye. Uh, Tool. 
uh, bought out Lateralis, which was eagerly awaited at the time um, and went down pretty well with their fan base. Uh, System of a Down, uh, sort of Rage Against the Machine wannabes, they released Toxicity. Uh, Destiny's Child, if you like that sort of uh, dance R&B type stuff, released Survivor, which was pretty big for them. Bob Dylan had an album too. And Is This It by The Strokes, which actually that was a major hit. And Amnesiac by Radiohead should give that a mention as well. However, my music choice, finally, it's homegrown. It is from one of my favourite bands, a cult band from Adelaide, been around well over 30 years. I'm talking about The Mark of Cain. Fantastic band, tight as a drum, uh, monstrous sounding three-piece, Rifferama we're talking. If uh, you haven't heard The Mark of Cain, but you have heard of Helmet, the New York hardcore band, absolutely, you must hear The Heart of uh, the Mark of Cain because they are very similar sounding. Probably not surprisingly, seeing the drummer in the both bands was the same. A magnificent man on the sticks, John Stania, one of the best drummers in the history of music. Um, but he teamed up with the brothers Scott, John Scott and Kim Scott for this album, which was released in 2001. And it is a killer. Uh, Familiar Territory was the single off it. Got a little bit of airplay, uh, but uh, they have remained definitely sort of cult band the Mark of Cain. Other great songs on this album, Retaliate, Second Hander, Token, Sleep, uh, Lockdown, uh, Cut Them Down, The Closer. Um, it is, uh, yeah, a brutal sounding rhythm section, uh, very riffy. Uh, John Scott sort of barks his vocals in almost a, a spoken word delivery, but it's all about the guitars and the rhythm section, this band, they absolutely deliver a killer punch. And uh, funnily enough, another, uh, my footy memory for 2001 finally is inextricably linked to the Mark of Cain because, uh, well, I'll talk about that when I get to it. But uh, one of the greatest days of my life involved my footy memory and seeing the Mark of Cain live at the Corner Hotel playing most of the tracks off this album. It is a killer album. This is This by The Mark of Cain, my album of 2001. What's yours? I just want to say my life has gone untouched by The Mark of Cain thus far and I don't intend to go out of my way to make it any different in the future. Though, given that they're from South Australia, they would be a, you know, they might sort of uh, start to redress the imbalance of the career of Kane Ackland at St Kilda because I can't think of any marks of Kane at St Kilda. Um, he did end up at Port Adelaide. I think he came from South Australia, played for Carlton. But Port Adelaide, St Kilda, Carlton, I think. I don't know what the bloody Correct. order was. I don't know what the order was, but there were not many marks of Kane, let me tell you. Okay. What about Kane, Kane Corns? Hey. I like him. I actually, I think what he says is logical. I think he says it in a, um, in an abrasive. I wasn't asking for a critique. I was just giving you another you said, you said how mark about, of Cain. I thought, oh, must have been a rhetorical question because when somebody says, how about <laughs> somebody, it's often followed by a question mark. Um, yes, I won't review him anymore then. Let's move on. As you turn to South Australia for your fix of, um, and I note that clearly, it's not heavy metal, but it is a loud sound with some angry intent. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Okay. I looked further. Hardcore. I, well, 
I think that describes what I'm about to dish up as well. I looked farther afield. The list that I had been choosing from prior to this, absolutely brilliant choice because it is a standout for one of the great bands of all time. But prior, let's just say in my race for the album of the year, this has won by so far that the jockey of the of this horse was able to dismount, get his silks off, and was at the finish line to applaud the second horse. And I speak of Ramstein's magnificent 2001 album, the album of which most singles were plucked, the album that went number one in Germany, unsurprisingly number one in Austria. They had been inexorably entwined, those two countries, in good times and bad number four in Holland. It even hit the top 100 in the US and the UK and had some sales in 2002 of note in Australia after the wonderful Rammstein toured the Big Day Out circuit in 2001. That's late in the year. I speak of their album Mutter. And if you would ask a Rammstein fan what is their favourite album after they would give you a good headbutt across the bridge of your nose for asking it in English, uh, they would so- probably say Mutter, which means mother in German. And the hits off this album, I don't know if you've heard of any of these. I think a couple of them, I were, haven't. A couple of them were quite big. It's Links, Zwei, Drei, Vier, which means to the left, two, three, four. And it starts with a marching command. Links, dum, dum. Now that came out after their best-known hit, Du Hast. That was their next sort of international release. And it beats Du Hast as a song, I believe. I like it. The They have two paces, the very ferocious, hardcore pace, and then the uh, very slow, sullen dirge pace. So they go dirge for sonna, which means sun, as in the sun in the sky. Ich will is a, a slower but deeply heartfelt song, meaning I want. And that was a hit, mainly in Bavaria and other areas previously and currently occupied by Germany. Feuerfrei means fire at will. That's a great, that's like a machine gun play song. And the titled, uh, the single from which they get the title of the album, Mutter, again is a is a um, warming plea to mother in sort of... Um, classical German with Teutonic overtones and would make sense if your mother was a large Viking woman who had recently eaten a caribou, killed and eaten a caribou with her bare hands. So it's that sort of music. I love it. As you do it. I love it. Um, it's it's absolute... Rammstein is simply not a band that you can recommend to people because, you know, you don't just take a random off random and not know the music taste and say, oh, you must listen to Ramstein. That would be like saying to somebody that's got bland tastes, oh, you must start off by eating a vindaloo. You don't go to the hottest and meanest. So I don't know if people who don't like Ramstein would listen to it. People who do like Ramstein know about it. So this is of no help to anybody other than to say it was my favourite album. All right. Well, while you're on a roll, give us your favourite movie. This is a ripper. Now, you know I'm doing my top 50, Rowan. I do, and I'm looking forward to instalment number four, which I'll be receiving shortly, correct? You will receive it. Maybe, maybe. A, no, I won't get there in time. I've only got one more to go. So this movie appears in that list of 
20 down, 20 down to 10 or 19 down to 10. And it is my absolute smoky in the whole 50 because it appears in very little best movies. Uh, I, I keep referring to other lists. It's ranked 134 of 191 alien movies ever made. But I'm telling you personally, it gives of any movie that tries to explain extraterrestrial life and the possibility of it, any book I've ever read or article surmising what might be out there, this movie, which leaves us answer, filling in the blanks ourselves, actually has some feasibility to me. It really does. I don't know why. It's called k It stars Kevin Spacey as Prot. Now, I'm not, I'll, I will not ruin the movie. So, any more, you can't talk about any of this movie without starting to give away really juicy bits. I'll just say Kevin Spacey as Prot and Jeff Bridges as a psychiatric, as the doctor at a psychiatric um, facility where you know, they just process through all of the different um, uh, conditions and, and different um, uh, uh, the patients there because they're long-term patients. They're different um, uh, manifests, how they view the world, you know, and it's just process because they can't cure them. But his interest is piqued by this man, Prot, who comes in simply as a, a patient, no name, John Doe, they don't know who he is, but there's something odd about him. Interesting. It's beautifully written, beautifully acted, and it also includes, well, it's a second screen appearance, but the, the other one was just in a rubbish movie that no one's heard of, of Aaron Paul, who plays the son of um, Jeff Bridges, only comes in at the end of the movie. Do you know who Aaron Paul is? Uh, that rings a bell. Yeah, he's um, in Breaking Bad. He's the, the kid. Oh, uh, yeah, I haven't seen um Breaking Bad, believe it or not, yeah, okay, but, so, uh, it's on the list. But but he's also won a lot of awards, Aaron Paul, and highly regarded, not just for that. So he's basically screen debut. So that's a bit of a note as well. All right. Uh, a couple of uh, big ticket items in 2001. Uh, Shrek was released. Of course, that's a favourite of everyone. Black Hawk Down, Legally Blonde, Ocean's Eleven, which was pretty huge. Zoolander, which uh, is quite funny, I reckon. Quite like that. But I've gone for a uh, bit of a... Actually, I'd be interested if you know this one, Pliny. This has become a bit of a cult classic. One of those films that um, didn't necessarily do that well or garner much attention when it came out. But uh, since it went on to video particularly, or DVD or whatever, video, um, has become a real cult film. And uh, its um, word has spread over the years. I'm talking about Donnie Darko. Uh, now, this stars, I always struggle to pronounce his name, Jake, is it Gyllenhaal? Jake Gyllenhaal? Gyllenhaal, yeah. Uh, Maggie, his sister, is in it as well. Drew Barrymore's in it. Uh, Mary McDonnell, Catherine Ross. Uh, Patrick Swayze's in it. But uh, it's a, a really uh, weird but endearing film about uh, this kid, Donnie Darko, who uh, the film begins with him sleepwalking out of his house and uh, he meets up with this really eerie-looking dude wearing a rab- giant rabbit costume who introduces himself as Frank. Um, and uh, Donnie wakes up on a golf course and uh, wondering what the hell's going on and uh, returns home to find that a huge 
jet airliner has crashed into his bedroom where he normally would have been, but for his sleepwalking. And uh, thus begins a weird chain of events. The um, scary looking rabbit Frank has told Donnie whilst he was out sleepwalking that the world was going to end in 28 days, six hours, 42 minutes and 12 seconds, I think is the time frame. Um, and thus begins a, a sort of weird chain of events and uh, Donnie sort of getting involved with uh, the girl in the neighbourhood and various people at his school and his parents who were worried about his mental state. Uh, I won't give away too much more. I know I'm prone to do that. It has a particularly good musical score. It's got a, a cover of Tears for Fears' Mad World, which did pretty well. Um, I think This Killing Moon, Echo and the Bunnymen's in it. Um, but really interesting film, right up your alley, I would have thought, actually, Fanny, if you haven't seen it. If you have seen it, I'll get your opinion on it. Donnie Darko. Oh, another little interesting story about this. One of the reasons uh, it didn't do that well, it wasn't widely advertised. The reason being that it was released on October the 26th and a key plank in the film is a um, jet airliner crashing into his bedroom. And as you can imagine, only a month and a half after 9-11, that was pretty sensitive territory. So it didn't get a lot of publicity as a result, and that probably uh, was part of the reason it suffered at the box office, but more than made up for it in the years since. Like I said, a bit of a cult classic. Donnie Darko, my film of 2001. Have you seen it, Pliny? I have not seen Donnie Darko. I note, I've noted many, t many times I've seen Donnie Darko written up. It is a a favourite, an absolute, an important movie for seemingly, um, especially in America, those those kids that go through the high school system, which we know is very much a, even, I don't even know if they've addressed it now, it is very much a um, structured or strated social system, and there are kids that just don't fit in. And it's one of those, it's a movie, I think, that made kids that are different feel very comfortable about themselves. A little bit like that, I think there was a, a Gilbert Grape movie that... Comes, oh, yeah, What's Eating Gilbert Grape. Yeah. yeah, and those sort of movies where the kid that is different at school that in in the real world gets picked on has these movies to fall back on. And it actually made the quirky, odd kid, as long as he didn't have access to guns, quite popular. Uh, yep, no, good call. All right, TV. Um uh, some other, well, some pretty good shows started in 2001. Scrubs, which uh, was very popular in the mid-noughties. Uh, 24 with Kiefer Sutherland did very well for a fair while. And I um, I had a bit of a toss-up here, finally, because I only came to this show I'm about to mention, I think, 15 years later. But, geez, I loved it when I saw it. And it was six feet under about the... Um, family of undertakers, uh, Rachel Griffiths, of course, part of that. Um, uh, beautiful show, which is sort of part comedy, part drama. Um, and, uh, yeah, one of my very favourite TV shows, that, but which means that my choice has to be pretty good to edge it out. I've gone with this, Fanny. Now, this is a show, I'm pretty sure you haven't watched this, but you definitely should. This absolutely is right up your alley. It's quirky. It is a bit bent, you know, a bit like South Park in that regard. It's not a cartoon, though. Um, I first came across this very late at night on Channel 10 in about 2005, and I remember watching it thinking, is this for real? 
no, it's not. But it is a mockumentary in the vein of Spinal Tap, etc. It concerns three absolute losers living in a Canadian trailer park. Uh, and you know where I'm going with this now, a lot of people. Trailer Park Boys is my TV show, 2001. I love this show. It is just, these guys are just so ridiculously bent. Uh, their whole lives are about, uh, you know, none of them have jobs. Their whole lives are about sort of coming up with ridiculous schemes for growing weed and selling it and stuff. They're in constant conflict with the Trailer Park supervisor, Jim Leahy. And uh, his assistant, Randy, who gets around in tight uh, moleskin pants and wearing no shirt. And the three main characters are um, Ricky, who is a complete and utter loser and dumb as a post, um, played very well by Rob Wells. His mate, Julian, uh, who's like the tough guy, uh, played by John Paul Tremblay. And uh, there's lots of little running gags in Trailer Park Boys. One of them with Julian is that he always has a scotch and coke in his hand. And it doesn't matter what he's doing. There's one episode where they're crawling through a sewer to get somewhere and Julian's still got the scotch and coke in his right hand. Um, and the other character, you may have seen this guy, Bubbles, uh, played by Mike Smith. And he is sort of like the the voice of reason between the other two. And he's got weird-looking eyes, which are... Um, magnified by his glasses, hence the nickname Bubbles. Uh, there's some great other characters in it too. J-Rock, the white rapper, um, various uh, partners and children of the main characters. Um, it, it's a fantastic show. It is so funny, uh, particularly the first seven series. They uh, The rights changed and they ended up writing it themselves. I don't think it's been quite as good since, but... Uh, absolutely magnificent stuff. A lot of it's on YouTube if you want to check it out. But uh, set in a trailer park in, uh, where is it? Somewhere in Nova Scotia, Sunnyvale Trailer Park. Trailer Park Boys, my TV pick of 2001. Uh, you haven't seen it, I take it fine? I haven't. It's actually interesting. This week's vinyl and video, we just haven't intersected at all, have we? There's no, no no synergy whatsoever. No, but this that is definitely a show I think you would like, so check it out. All right, what's your TV show? Well, I'm hoping you, you're a fan of this. Just as Faulty Towers was comedic brilliance over only 12 episodes, so was this. Incredibly so. And this is the original UK version, and to me, the only version. Do not... People like the other one. I don't go. I wouldn't touch it with a ten-foot pole. Of the Office, it introduced us to Ricky Gervais, of course, who plays David Brent, the incredibly uncomfortable to watch because he is um, so misplaced in his own position at the company that he is manager of, a stationary company, Werner and Hogg, in Slough. Now. Everything about it is perfect. He's, he's a guy who thinks he's mates with all the staff and well-liked and cool and interesting. None of the above get ticked. And that gives great opportunity for not only sort of squirming humour in terms of squirming your seat, oh, he didn't say that, he's not doing that, but also all the other characters feeding off it. Um, Slough is the perfect place. It's, it's set in an industrial park. 
there was a famous English poet, John Benjamins, who wrote a, a poem about Slough, about bombs being dropped on Slough and obliterating it because that's all it's good for now. That's the perfect place to set it. Uh, Werner and Hogg, um, the stationery company, I think their, mo um, their, their slogan was Werner and Hogg, we're, we're a company that is always going to be stationary. <laughs> There's it all. Great side characters. There's um, Tim, played by... Oh, who's that actor? He's very popular now. He played Sherlock Holmes and all these other things. Um, his girlfriend, Dawn, her, you know, just boorish, racist and uninteresting and, and you know, sort of bullying boyfriend. Uh, fiance, there's a character there. Um, probably the most popular character is... Uh, David Brent's underling, and I can't remember his name, the blonde guy, um, Gareth. Oh, he's fantastic with a haircut done with a, you know, that bowl when you put a bowl over a kid's head. And he's a, a fan of everything military. I don't know if you saw The Office, but look, Ricky, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ricky, nah. he's a megastar, Ricky Gervais. And I, I, I know, of course, you love Afterlife, so you're a big fan of his, but he planted his flag brilliantly with The Office, I thought. I, you know, and I didn't watch it for two years because when my I got a mate who I really rate his opinion on TV. He said, "Got to watch The Office," and for some reason I don't know why I thought he was talking about a show called Drop the Dead Donkey. Maybe I'd seen oh, yeah, it. I remember that. I'd seen it, and it was set in an office, and I don't know why. And I, I, after a year and a half, I said, "Why do you keep calling Drop the Dead Donkey The Office?" He said, "I don't. It's a different show." And then <laughs> I started enjoying The Office. Oh, I've, I've watched both versions of it. I, I don't mind. I, I think the American version is actually quite good. But yeah, people um, like it. Yeah. I, don't, I just can't. Yeah, no, nah, the nah, the English one's probably a bit more subtle. I think. Uh, can I, I, give, can I give you my favourite moment? Because anybody that knows this program has moments, and there is a moment in this I think ranks up with the ten funniest things I've ever seen. And often in comedy, it's something you see, not something you hear. Um, and they go to the, they like going to the pub to you know at the end of the week and they all try and pick up. It is very British, isn't it? And Gareth is yeah. at the pub being harangued by a couple that are into swinging. You know, they want him to come home and be part of their threesome. They're a married couple, and he he tells them to f off. You know, there's no way he's doing it. The last scene of the show is him riding pillion passenger and that couple sort of dinking each other on a motorbike. And because it's filmed as a documentary, he just passes the camera and gives this sort of look of, well, what else is there? <laughs> it's sort of the shrug of the shoulders. And it's just him as this little pillion passenger with these two really heavy set, um, you know, swingers. Oh, it was great. Very good. Uh, all right, let's finish off with a footy memory. And uh, I couldn't go past this one. 2001, uh, a game now known universally as The Comeback. Round 16 at the MCG, Essendon playing North Melbourne. Uh, the Kangaroos, who don't have Wayne Carey in the lineup, absolutely come out all guns blazing. By the time Spider Burton kicks a goal, 10 minutes into the second quarter, they have a lead, an unassailable lead of 69 points. Still hard to believe this, guy. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be there covering it. Um, Essendon promptly launch an amazing comeback, so amazing that they not only kicked 10 goals in that second quarter after the 10-minute mark, 
they got the margin back to 21 points by half time. And the second half was just goal for goal. Incredible uh, back and forth. Third quarter, the Bombers kicked seven. North Melbourne kicked six. Final quarter, the Bombers kicked eight. And the Kangaroos three. Not sealed until right at the end, Blake Carousella running, running into an open goal to give Essendon an eventual 12-point win in a game with it, just an, an incredible scoreline. Matthew Lloyd ending up with nine goals for the Bombers. And Jason Johnson, who was a fantastic player for the Dons back in the day, uh, arguably his greatest performance. Four goals for JJ and 31 disposals. Uh, final scores, Essendon, 27-9-171. Defeated North Melbourne, 25 goals, 9 159, coming back from 69 points down. And, uh, well, if you don't like Essendon, a bit of karma, well, not karma, but this was a real last hurrah for Essendon as a power side, finding. They were uh, reigning Premier, of course. They, after this game, had won 14 games out of 16. But they lost the next week. They lost the week after. And, in fact, including the finals, including the grand final, which they lost, they only won five of their last nine games. So went about 50-50 and were never the same side again and uh, really have never been the same side since. And we're now 19 years down the track. So if you don't like the Bombers, there's a nice little sting in the tail for you. But regardless, this was an amazing day the Essendon Football Club. And I mentioned before, one of the great days of my life, I went straight from covering that game and filing copy for the age to the Corner Hotel in Richmond, where I watched the Mark of Cain play one of the great sets of all time. So I won't forget that day in a hurry, Finey. It was a ripper. What's your footy memory? Beautiful, because a tongue and grooves almost uh, carpenter made into my highlight, and that is the... What else? The first premiership by the Brisbane Lions. Of course, the Brisbane Lions, uh, the better version, even though the Brisbane Bears were coming, of the Brisbane Bears who ended up in, who sort of shut up shop and changed the letterhead and stationery in 1996 to accommodate the, what would be, the, well, what was the tragic demise of Fitzroy in giving Fitzroy supporters somewhere to, uh, aim their love of fo- football and some something to embrace, even though player-wise, not much came their way. So the this game, I mean, I've got to say, Roman, that this was really for mine a I I I would say a are you there, Roman? By the way, I am here. Yeah, good. No, I'm glad you're still there. Um, for me, <laughs> for me, it because I I wouldn't blame you for dropping out. This was. A season that did not start brilliantly, four and five, when they met your Bombers. They just lost to Adelaide and Carlton in the previous weeks. But very good win against Essendon at the Gabba, and they would never lose again. Which makes people, you have to realise that a lot of people believe that their first premiership came out of nowhere and was a great upset. Now, Essendon were favourite. Essendon did lead at half-time. But this is a team that didn't lose since round 10 till you know, from round 10, they never lost again. And, of course, would go on to win three premierships. And, again, a lot is made, or some is, something's made, that they never finished on top of the ladder in those three years. Don't worry. They were 
brilliantly prepared over that time by Lee Matthews, as they were in that year. Look, in the quarterfinal, they took apart Port Adelaide, didn't they? And I think 80-something to five or six goals. They thrashed Richmond in the prelim. Probably shouldn't have been there, Richmond, at that stage, but they still got there. And then, of course, uh, that brilliant third quarter in the grand final. You were there. You know what it was like. We saw the sort of birth of a great team, but in hindsight, they might have been bloody good before that. They made the finals the two years previous. Of course, Voss Ackermanis, Lap and Black, they've got a team that had a couple of misses only. You know, at this stage, they've got Lynch to kick the ball to, but they've maybe their rucking wasn't brilliant. Famously, Clark Keating could step up in finals. But the rest of it was pretty good. A very tough defence. We know Mal Michael featured originally. There were Scots. So, you know, tough. And, of course, uh, the Orange Ruffy, Lepich. I'm leaving out plays. It was a great team, wasn't it? Hart. And Sean Hart, who was, uh, you know, the famous Norm Smith medalist. Uh, it was the definitely the... Um... I guess the the day they franked their name as a, a, a power team that got even better still. But uh, no doubt by that time that grand final was played, they were the best team in the competition. That was their 16th win in a row. Essendon were pretty injury-hit and tired, really, by that stage. And you look at it in hindsight and think, oh, that was always going to happen. Yeah, well, right. you're right. I mean, Essendon had a pretty decent lead-up shortly before halftime. I think Alistair Lynch kicked a... Pretty important goal just on half time, and then third quarter they ran all over them. Uh, in the end, I actually think Essendon did all right to keep the margin under thirty points. In the end, it, it's funny that uh, a lot of people's memories, and I, I'm not making this up, is that Essendon, you know, blew it. How couldn't they beat Brisbane in two thousand and one? True, Essendon should have got more than one premiership out of that period because we know, you know, in 2000, they lost only one game in 1999. That was the unthinkable loss in the prelim. But don't people should not add uh, the unlosable grand final because it simply wasn't. It, it, was rep- oh, no. it was well-earned reputation against how good can Brisbane be. But uh, history would show us all the next two years three years even, because, of course, they made the grand final in 2004, would show us that Essendon, as you said, had nothing to be ashamed about. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, All right, uh, two good footy memories there from 2001. Um, That's it. We are done. Uh, About to head into round six. Uh, Stay safe, everyone, if you... uh, Well, stay safe anyway, but particularly if you are a Victorian, make sure... You observe the um, stage three lockdown restrictions or you will be heavily penalised. Just a quick one, please jump on our Patreon page, uh, Patreon Lookup Footyology. And if you can offer us a bit of support, it would uh, be much appreciated. We are trying to expand this operation. Any donations, gratefully accepted. Finally, how about giving our wonderful sponsors another plug to finish off? In lockdown... You've got to stay home, but you are allowed to go out to get uh, food essentials. And that includes maybe treating yourself to some takeaways. So I say in lockdown, chow down from the best and head down to Albert Park, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park, Andrew's Hamburgers, from bun to bun and everything in between, the best hamburgers you've ever seen. And West Point Properties, 
They're the builders to the stars of football, Pendlebury, Heppel and Sheehan. And they can also give that luxury look feel to your home with a Renault. The name is Nick Spartels. His business is West Point Properties. Both great sponsors. And as you always say, the trifecta in who we appreciate, it's the sponsors, Andrews and West Point Property. And who else, Rowan? Our very loyal audience. We thank you for your continued support. Thanks for listening. I hope your team has a good win in round six. We'll be back on Sunday evening to review the round we just previewed. I think you know what I mean by now. Have a good weekend, everyone. We'll see you later.